This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Claude Poncelet. Claude is a physicist specializing in nuclear physics, astrophysics, and cosmology, who taught at the university level. Claude Poncelet is involved in many environmental initiatives and served as chief staff liaison on President Clinton's Council on Sustainable Development. He has taught shamanism in Europe and North America for more than 25 years, along with his wife, Noelle. With Sounds True, Claude has written a new book called The Shaman Within, a physicist's guide to the deeper dimensions of your life, the universe, and everything. In The Shaman Within, Claude invites the reader to discover the 21st century evolution of shamanic practice, one that will delight, empower, and open eyes to new dimensions of our strange and marvelous universe. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Claude and I spoke about what is sentience and how the matter of sentient beings is also sentient. We talked about the interconnectedness of life seen through the eyes of a physicist and also seen through shamanic vision. We also talked about Claude's practice of shape-shifting, a practice that he's been doing for more than 20 years, and how now, at age 77, Claude is working with shape-shifting as he faces and deals with a life-threatening diagnosis that he recently received of metastasized lung cancer. Here's a quite provocative and moving conversation with Claude Poncelet. Claude, in your new book, The Shaman Within, you make a really strong statement. And to begin with, I'd love to talk with you about that. And here's the statement. Everything that has form in this world has a spiritual dimension. So I'd love to start by talking about that, meaning in the book you talk about how there's such a thing as the spirit of a house or the spirit of a car or the spirit of my computer. So help me understand that. Uh, in my experience, Tommy, my lifelong experience of of living in the world, experiencing the world, uh, and through my shamanic practice, I have come to understand that uh, reality, and I would use a capital R, uh, is uh, larger than just the physical world that we see around us, 
but it does include a what I call a spiritual dimension. So in addition to the you know what in science we would call the physical dimensions of space, time, energy, matter, uh, there is a spiritual dimension. Uh, and this is the dimension of the world that all spiritual traditions uh, try to access. Shamanic practitioners and shamans over time have put a lot of emphasis on uh, the spiritual aspects, the spiritual dimensions of nature. The trees, the rocks, the animals, the elements of water, air, fire, the earth, and their spiritual dimension, what in or terminology we would call the spirits of these uh, nature entities. Uh, everything else that we as a human species have constructed through our technologies, whether it's a horse or whether it's a computer, a car, a phone, uh, a, a pair of shoes, is made of earth materials, it's made of earth stuff. It has a spiritual dimension itself. It has taken a new form physically, which nature does all the time, uh, except that here we, as part of nature, have given a new form to, uh, to something made it into a car, for example. So there is a spiritual dimension to a car. And <clears throat> to the extent that we can recognize that spiritual dimension uh, of everyday items that we use, uh, this changes totally the way we use these technologies, the way we approach them, the way we live in this world. You know, for whatever reason, I easily accept the idea that there's a spiritual dimension to a sentient form, like a tree, as you mentioned, rocks, etc. But when it comes to thinking that there's you know, a spiritual dimension to my iPhone, what I notice is I think, well, what is that? How do I contact that? What does that mean? I'm in disbelief. And, uh, you know, that disbelief, uh, Tammy, is, is, to me, something that's welcome, because it's a natural first reaction to all of us, and I've had that, that, that own experience myself, and there is nothing really that I can say mentally or intellectually that, that, that can change that disbelief uh, directly. One really needs to experience that uh, sacred aspect, that, that spiritual aspect of even, a, let's say, a cell phone. Uh, the the shamanic journey, uh, particularly that one where we learn how to change our states of consciousness to enter that spiritual dimension, to make contact with uh, that spiritual dimension, allows us to make contact with the spiritual dimension with our phone just the same way as we would make uh, contact with the spiritual dimension of a tree. Uh, and it is that experience, I think, which then tells us, yes, yes, this is the way 
the world is. This is the way reality is. Uh, again, it's when we say sentient beings. Uh, for me, uh, you know, trees are sentient, and, and as you mentioned, rocks are also sentient. Uh, for me, the matter from which these are made uh, is sentient. The particles, the uh, atoms, uh, uh, science is actually going in that direction, showing that elementary particles actually compute, that elementary particles process information. So science is getting to the, to also to realizing that 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 sentience or intelligence goes much farther than or what I would say has been our more limited view. Uh, so that when we bring together uh, matters that comes from rocks, that comes from trees, that come from uh, water, that comes from other parts of the earth together to create a new entity, a new form, a cell phone, uh, there is sentience, there is a spiritual dimension there. Uh, you need to experience it, and it's, uh, it's a fairly ex simple uh, process to do. I think all of us have that capability. This is why I call my book The Shaman Within. We all have within us, that's part of the human condition, this capability of of not only becoming aware of that spiritual dimension in every form in the world, but also of actually contacting, con connecting, having a relationship with that spiritual dimension. So, Claude, I want to take this a little further, because I notice as you're talking, it's asking me to change the way I perceive the world, meaning i historically have perceived the world as, you know, this rug is kind of not sentient and the engineer in the other room is. And by you talking about the elementary particles being somehow alive and sentient, I'm realizing that maybe I need to think about the rug differently. Uh, I think we do. And it's important also to to realize that this, call it intelligence or sentience, uh, of different forms on this planet Earth, whether it be human beings or a tree or, or a, uh, a tiger uh, or a cup of water or a rug, uh, is of a different uh, nature. Uh, in other words, the, <coughs> the sentience of a rock is certainly different from that of a tree, and yet it is there. There is, and I like to put the emphasis here more on the sacred than just on any form of intelligence or ability to, to, to communicate in, in this ordinary world, which is usually what people think about having a sentient being. Uh, the the uh, <clears throat> Uh, the, the spiritual aspect of every form, including a rock, makes it that it is, uh, it is sacred. It is part of the uh, divine whole, which is, after all, what you know, most spiritual traditions tell us, that everything is connected. 
uh, it's interesting that in certain spiritual traditions, uh, certain works which have been given some special ritual are considered sacred. Uh, I I think that we can do the same uh, with the everyday items that we live with. Now, you mentioned that it might not be that difficult for someone who's interested to use this form of the shamanic journey and contact the spiritual dimension of, it sounds like anything, really, absolutely anything. And so I'm wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about how to do that. Let me say that that kind of the key to uh, make that connection with the sacred of other forms, with the spiritual dimension, and let's call it with the spirit of of an object or or, or of an animal or of uh, an element, is through intention. Uh, it is with the intention, which is not the same as will. Intention is is really being very clear in our essence, in our mind, in our body, that our intention is to connect with the spirit of, let us say, my cell phone. And uh, and one can enter into a silent meditative state uh, and be open. There is no effort here uh, demanded. Very often we try to make an effort to communicate with the spiritual dimension, and the effort is actually an obstruction or a barrier. It is better to put out the intention to trust and trust our ability to do that and to feel the, uh, the connection, to feel the presence of that spiritual dimension. Uh, what happens there is that it is our own spiritual dimension we as a, as a member of the human species, people may call it the soul or the or divine essence or true nature, or I call it the authentic being. It is that true essence which is connecting with the true essence of the spirit of that object, of that cell phone. Uh, again, when we are in that state of, of pure intention and meditation, uh, we can call it an altered state of consciousness, or sometimes the shamanic state of consciousness. We find ourselves in the uh, awareness of interconnectedness, that everything is interconnected, which is the basic principles of shamanism and of many uh, spiritual traditions, as you know. And as we are moving into that state of interconnectedness, naturally we are connecting from our own spiritual dimension to the spiritual dimension of the object. And we recognize it, we feel it, we may see it, it may show up in our, through our mental mind as an image, or we can hear a message from it through the auditory, or could be just a kinesthetic feeling. People have different ways, all of the above. But it's, it's a knowing, and, and a contact, a communication can be established. I'd be curious to know if you could give us an example 
of how you made contact in your practice with the spirit of an object of some kind and, and what that was like? Uh, well, I, you know, I, I do that uh, on a regular basis. I think every day I probably do that dozens of times. Uh, you know, whenever I get into my car, I connect with the spirit of the car, its spiritual dimension, you know. I thank it for driving me around. I ask it to keep me safe. Uh, and uh, I do that with my computer. Whenever I open my computer, I establish a relationship with the spirit of my computer so that when I connect with it, uh, uh, and it shows itself, in my mind, I'm very visual and auditory, and so I actually see it as I, with my eyes closed uh, into a certain form, and that form can change. And the form in which I see it is a message by itself and a communication. And, and I do get guidance. Uh, I ask, uh, you always have to ask, I ask my computer to provide me guidance as I am working on, on a certain topic. Uh, and uh, I do get guidance uh, I, you know, I, I will suddenly, my computer will remind me, you know, or you need to uh, Skype your sister in Belgium. She's waiting for you to communicate with her. Uh, I hear these messages. And, uh, uh, you know, give you another example. Uh, I have been communicating with the spirit of my book ever since I started with working on the book knowing that it was slowly taking a form. Uh, and, and, and I could see the, 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 the image of the spirit of the book evolving over time. It's been a constant companion for me. And uh, I have learned a great deal. Uh, that's why, for me, uh, I, I don't feel, you know, as being the sole author of this book, I feel that this has been a collaboration I, I suspect that many authors, and I know this is the case for many scientists, have that kind of relationship with the work they're doing, which goes much further than an ordinary physical reality relationship. They may not be fully conscious aware or aware of it, uh, but they have inklings about it. Uh, there are a lot of people who have written about their work talk about those kinds of of relationship with the objects they're working with. Yeah, when I hear you talking about having a sense of connection to your car and thanking your car and asking your car to protect you as you drive around, I'm both impressed by living in such a sacred way and what that would be like to be so grateful and connected to everything in my life. But I also imagine the listener kind of thinking to themselves, I don't know, I think this guy might be a little cracked or something like that. I know it's a little harsh to put it quite that way. He's a scientist? How can someone who's a scientist be saying this? I mean, I understand sounds true authors who, you know, people, whatever, they, you know, in love with their imagination or... Who knows what? They're artists. 
They've taken a lot of hallucinogens. But this guy is a, is a nuclear physicist. How can he be saying these things? And that's a question I've heard uh, before by from, from I imagine. Uh, people and, and students of mine uh, and, and friends and relatives. Uh, and it's a very good question. And, and my... The first thing I want to say is that my training and practice as a as a physicist uh, has really been a major help in my probing, discovering, and uh, ultimately adapting the shamanic practice uh, or generally a spiritual practice and 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 understanding more about the world. And let me explain this a bit. My, uh, the scientific training I received, which is what uh, all scientists receive, some of them with better teachers than others, and I, I'm thankful to the good teachers I've received, is, uh, uh, is instilled in me a, an excitement about exploring and understanding the world we live in. Uh, and this, was, this is instilled for me even in my age, is something that excites me about about science. It's, it's discovering uh, the the how this beautiful world of works of ours works. Uh, is this exploration to me uh, led me also to uh, take notice of the various kind of unusual experiences I've had over my life, which I think every one of us do, things that we might call just pure coincidences or deja vu or, you know, things that we don't understand, but they're like, you know, uh, special connections with our world, uh, different spiritual happenings to us. Uh, And for me, uh, I wanted to explore those too. Uh, This was part of my scientific uh, training and excitement, if you wish. And many of these experiences, call them shamanic or non-ordinary experiences, including that of connecting with spiritual dimensions of, of matter, were things I could not explain with the science I had been taught. And, and the science I had been taught cannot explain those, because I, I understood that there was another dimension to reality, as I've mentioned, which science has no access to, but which spiritual traditions explore and have access to. They both, the shamanic tradition and other spiritual tradition and science, are both exploring the same world, the same reality. And uh, there is, uh, they both are looking through different windows into this bigger reality. And so science cannot explain the spiritual experiences and spirituality or shamanism cannot explain what the world is like from a physical point of view. But because both shamanism and science or spirituality and science are looking at the same reality, overall reality, there has to be consistency, what I call consistencies and synchronicities between science and shamanic knowledge or spiritual knowledge. And indeed, there is. And that, for me, has been an exciting uh, exploration. And 
particularly in the field of physics and quantum physics and cosmology and, and even now in neurosciences, uh, the theory of complexities and chaos theory, we are finding uh, that science is explaining the world using concepts that are more and more similar to what the shamanic and other spiritual traditions have been talking about sometimes for thousands of years. So there is a coming together, which I think is to be expected. Now, my scientific uh, skepticism has been also very helpful to me. Uh, and I think skepticism is something that uh, I value a great deal. And I wish, to be very honest, that sometimes some of my students, uh, my shamanic students, would have a little bit more of. In other words, it's it's skepticism is where you really go inside and you really ask yourself, is this for real or am I making this up? Uh, is this my ego that 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 wants to, or my narcissism that wants to experience certain things and that things that is experienced it. Uh, and these are questions that are important for us to ask. They're the same kind of questions we ask in science when we're skeptical about uh, ex experiments that are taking place, where we want to have other people verify those. It's the same kind of skepticism that we need to use in our shamanic or spiritual tradition. Now, you talked, Claude, about there being consistencies and synchronicities between the viewpoints of science and shamanism. Have you seen any inconsistencies? Things that just like, no way, these things just don't go together. They contradict each other. Uh, I have not. There are um, certainly a number of scientists who are very skeptical or unbelieving of of the the existence of another dimension or of a spiritual dimension, that certainly uh, you know would try to come up with uh, theories that would explain those, and sometimes you might see some contradiction there, uh, but this is more on the theoretical level. Uh, I really have not seen uh, inconsistencies. Uh, the the what there are there are certain uh, as I say physical phenomena or most physical phenomena cannot be explained by uh, a, a spiritual tradition and and vice versa and so there there are two two different aspects of this same reality by consistency uh, I mean that. Uh, uh, let me let me first put it this way: there would be an inconsistency, for example, if science were to show that everything in this physical world of ours is separate; none of it is connected to one another. There is total disconnection. There is total separation. If this was the case, that would be uh, inconsistent with what spiritual tradition and the shamanic tradition tell us that everything is interconnected into a greater whole. Uh, several centuries ago, uh, there was a 
great deal of philosophical scientific thinking more so than than experiments that would show that that indeed uh, the world was more of a mechanic me, mechanistical mechanistical uh, world that was working through separate parts that were not connected to one another. Uh, modern science, again, particularly uh, the physical sciences, but now even, of course, in ecology and uh, in, in cosmology, in, in, as I said, in neurosciences, is showing that, no, that everything is interconnected. Quantum physics has really shown that every single particle in this immense universe is connected with every other particle in the universe. Now, that is a powerful statement of interconnectedness uh, and one that I think, at least to me, has almost more impact than learning that from a spiritual sage, that everything is interconnected. And to me, it's normal that there would be this consistency. so no, I have not, uh, and I don't expect to find uh, inconsistencies. Now, of course, if there were, then I would just have to admit that uh, I have more to learn. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive two free gifts just for visiting us. Just go to soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. That's soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. And now, back to Insights at the Edge. Now, it's interesting that you're talking about the interconnectedness of all life, because one of the really interesting sections of the new book, The Shaman Within, was a chapter on shape-shifting, where you talked about how shape-shifting has been central to your practice of shamanism, and how in understanding shape-shifting, this appreciation of interconnectedness is one of the ways we can have some insight into how it might be possible. So I wonder if you could explain to us a little bit about what shape-shifting is and how you got into it. Yes, and it, it's, uh, I like the question because it's, it's, it's always been a, uh, even for myself, kind of an amazement that uh, along with my uh, passion to adopt the ancient shamanic tradition to or modern technological world, uh, which I think is a very important uh, step we need to take, uh, that I was led by my spirit guides, by uh, uh, what I've heard from uh, uh, the spiritual dimension I connect, was that I needed to go back and inform myself and start practicing in depth what is a very, very ancient traditional and one could say even esoteric shamanic practice, which is that of shape-shifting, that is transforming my own form 
and this is uh, you know starting from the energetic form to the uh, uh, psychic form, ultimately to the physical form, into another being, another form of the of this earth. Uh, and uh, this is something that that has been. This, this a, sounds uh, pretty sci-fi to me. Oh, it 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 is, and it 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 has to me, and and you know it is true. Uh, it has been now probably a good 20, 25 years that I have practiced uh, the shape-shifting is that I really understood why I was led to, uh, even as a scientist, to study that. Because uh, as I learned the practices of shape-shifting, and I've been teaching this to to many people, uh, and and actually undergoing uh, some aspects of shape-shifting into uh, other beings, uh, animals or trees or rocks, water and whatnot. Uh, I, my scientific mind, of course, always led me with skepticism to, in two ways. It says, how could this be possible? As you say, this looks really like total you know, uh, science fiction. Uh, and yet, my experience in practicing shape-shifting was such that I could not deny it. I could not deny the experiences I had of starting to shape-shift, say, to a tree. Uh, And to deny that experience would have been unscientific for me because this was an experience of the world for me. And, And I could not explain it, and yet it happened, and I could not reject it without for me being unscientific even though I could not explain it Uh, my understanding of it of course is I became more aware through my shamanic practice my spiritual practice of this interconnectedness of everything that I understood uh, also scientifically about the interconnectedness of all matter and all of energy in this world that it is because of this interconnectedness that the practice of shape-shifting is feasible. And so I understood then that the practice of shape-shifting was a uh, very powerful manifestation on the physical, emotional, mental, energetic field of this concept of interconnectedness. And too often, uh, and sometimes I still get there, you know, interconnectedness or says, oh yes, everything is interconnected, not, but interconnected. But what does that mean, really? And uh, in the shape-shifting practice, I've really gained an understanding of that interconnectedness, which became totally physical, became uh, energetic, uh, emotional. Uh, even my mind was able to grasp better what all that meant. No, I say in that sense, the the, the shape-shifting practice, uh, I understood, is, is, is something that we need to perhaps reintroduce into this modern world, which is why I included a chapter of it in my book, uh, because of this importance, I feel, uh, that for us humans, on this planet to avoid destroying the ecology of our planet and destroying each other. Uh, we need 
to reawaken our awareness of this interconnectedness, which is based on the sacredness of everything. And the shape-shifting practice is, is a deep way. Not everybody's uh, uh, path, but it's certainly a deep way to, uh, to get a greater insight into this interconnectedness that then we can take into our everyday life. Can you explain to our listeners who are unfamiliar with shape-shifting how the practice works, maybe giving an example from your own experience? Uh, let me take uh, you know take an example of shapeshifting in, into into an animal, for example, uh, which is which is the you know a first and maybe the easier practice to do, perhaps because we are an animal ourselves as a as a member of the human species. Uh, the the practice uh, takes place uh, through a uh, alter state of consciousness, the shamanic state of consciousness, uh, journey state, if you wish, where you enter in contact with uh, the uh, spirit of that animal that you will see or feel in front of you. And there is a practice uh, uh, which I describe in, in my book where uh, using our own energy field, and I use the chakra models for that, uh, we align our energy field with that of the other being, in this case an animal. And it's through intention that we can align these chakras, and there's a way of doing this starting with the, uh, uh, the will chakra, which is where the intention is focused. Uh, what, and it's through this, this pure state of, of intention uh, with no effort that, uh, in my experience, and that of the many students I have taught, a first shift or transformation or metamorphosis occurs in our own energy field so that we start uh, uh, taking on the consciousness, the, the energetic awareness of the animal. And it's, it's a very profound experience where uh, my vision changes, my hearing changes. I start seeing the world in a different way. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I go deeper into it. Uh, other aspects uh, of my being, including ultimately bodily feelings, start changing, where I can start feeling changes in my, uh, in my bodily structure that uh, uh, start mirroring what, uh, what the animal's bodily structure is. Uh, it's, it's a very profound experience, and particularly if, uh, if you do this kind of shape-shifting and then go out in nature, for example, which is something I love to do. My experience, as a, as a, even as a partially shape-shifted form, even if I only take the energetic form of an animal or it's part of its awareness, my uh, uh, interaction with the world is totally different. My perception of it is different. I've had interactions with other animals, 
real animals, in this case, in a shape-shifted form, which uh, I could never have had as a as a human, as a pure human species. And I know all this sounds very strange, uh, but yet, if we're all interconnected, uh, of course it's possible that this can be done. Uh, and uh, the only way to know that it's possible is to experience it. I cannot convince you, Tommy, or anybody else that this is something that can be done. Uh, I have done it, and, 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 and as a scientist, I, these experiences, which I have repeated probably thousands of times over those 25 years, I, I cannot reject those. Uh, and the same for what I've seen with students I have taught. Now, I'm with you in terms of being able to follow this sense of being able to shapeshift into an energetic experience. I think where my skepticism, and we're friends, Claude, because you, you said you like the healthy skeptic, but I think where my skepticism comes in is the physical aspects. Like, you know, so if, if someone was shapeshifting into a tiger, would they actually start I mean, I'm just going to say it, like growing claws, that's hard for me to imagine. I can see that they would feel inside like they were, but actually physically manifesting that, I find that hard to believe. Uh, no, the, 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 and it is hard, hard to believe. And, and you know, this is a, a practice that uh, uh, is also one that is so profound. It's a deep spiritual practice that it is not a practice that one does uh, to show off sure. to other people, you know. And so, uh, you know, in my own case, and I know people who practice it, uh, you know, this is not something, uh, this is something I do privately. Now, uh, <clears throat> the, the, the total transformation of the body into the body of a, of a tiger uh, is... Uh, uh, is something that, uh, you know, I would hope that uh, spirits will let me achieve sometime during my life uh, because I believe it's possible. The literature, uh, of course, both anthropological literature as well as uh, that of explorers and others have uh, documented many cases uh, of shamans in many different cultures that uh, have had fairly total physical shape-shifting experience. This is a tradition that we, we find in, uh, in all cultures. And I've had uh, interactions with uh, shamans in the Andes of Peru, in the Amazon uh, uh, or north of uh, Ecuador and northern Amazon, where where I know they are shapeshifting and they talk about it, and uh, so this this is again something that is hard to to ignore. Uh, it's 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 quite uh, possible even within if it's not a full bodily change that you can start, for example, and I've seen this in myself and in others start rolling like a tiger, which, which people would be unable to do if they were in their own human form, uh, 
what's also interesting, and I recount this in, in my book, is how other animals are very sensitive to even more subtle changes or metamorphosis of our form, particularly the energetic one. And uh, I recount a case, for example, where backpacking in the Sierras uh, and having people on horseback coming, and I was I was learning there about shape shifting, and I and I was I'd been for hours shape shifting and trying to walk as a as a tiger, and I uh, didn't pay attention. And when these people on horseback came. Uh, the horse reared and almost threw their people on the on the ground, and 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 they had to go take a big circle around me. They could not understand what had happened. Uh, neither could I at first, and until I realized that the horses clearly noticed the tiger essence uh, in me, uh, and which has taught me how to modulate when I shapeshift to make sure that I don't uh, interfere <laughs> with my form, uh, with other animals or other people who may be very sensitive to that. As a physicist, how do you understand that it's possible for physical matter to shift like that through human intention, for the body, the physical body, to shift like that? How does that make sense? Uh, no, it, it's it's a, it's a question I have not resolved. I've given a lot of thought to that. Uh, you know, it, it, it's known that uh, both at the particle level or as well as the molecule levels, there can be uh, uh, quite a bit of uh, transformation. Some of it can be spontaneous. Some of it can uh, in in a human body, for example, be the result of uh, connection with uh, our neurons in the brain. Uh, you know, we know, uh, and and I know in, in in healing with the disease I have now that that I'm I'm working on this where I can uh, actually through my intention uh, help bring about some uh, biochemical changes in my body. I think mind-body uh, effects like this have been studied for a long time. And even though there's still a lot of doubts about it among uh, among the more mainstream medical field, I think it's, it's if you look at the scientific liter- literature, there's more and more understanding that, that it is that we can, through our a thought process to our intention uh, make major modifications to uh, the biochemistry of our brain as well as the biochemistry of other parts of our body. Uh, it certainly comes in when we use meditation, for example, to uh, remove stress or anxiety in, in us. It goes through biomedical changes that occur through intention. And so uh you know those it is possible to bring about those changes and so i i i i see no reason why uh, in a more uh, uh advanced or extreme case we could not actually change uh more of the uh, 
biochemistry of the entire body uh, into something else. Now, you mentioned that you've been working with a healing challenge recently. And, you know, I know in talking with you, you called me a couple months ago, right before this new book, The Shaman Within, was scheduled to be published, and mentioned that you were actually dealing with quite a life-threatening health situation, an advanced uh, form of lung that's cancer. Right. And, and uh, you know, fairly soon after I sent you back the galley proofs of the book, I was uh, diagnosed with uh, a stage 4 uh, advanced lung cancer which was metastasized to the brain uh, and uh, to parts of my spinal column of a couple of vertebrae, uh, which clearly was a shock to me because I don't have a family history of cancer and I don't smoke uh, and have what I thought was a fairly uh, normal diet and exercise uh, regimen and, 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 and my spiritual life. And... Uh, this uh, experience for me is happening while it has changed my life uh, totally. I live now with uh, with this fatal illness in me. Uh, has also uh, been a, a deep spiritual experience. Uh, and, and my shamanic practice has helped me a great deal as well as my scientific understanding in this case to... Uh, deal as well as I could with uh, this cancer. The, uh, one of the uh, understanding I had immediately was that uh, because of, partly because of my shape-shifting and my understanding of, of the bodily makeup of my body, was that these cancer cells uh, in my lung, in my brain, were my own cells, uh, and they were ill. This was not something that was coming from the outside. I was not attacked by a cancer. I was not a victim of a cancer. This was something within me. And from the start, my uh, approach to my cancer has been one where I, I've really been uh, uh, in daily contact with my cancer cells. I express love for them. I express gratitude for what they've brought to me, for example, in my lung. These are cells that have helped me breathe for many, many years. I express gratitude. And because I've learned a great deal through this illness and having to deal with it, I thank them for all the learnings that, I'm, uh, uh, that they've brought to me. Uh, and so I'm not fighting my cancer. I really have respect and love for my cancer cells. What I do next then, and I do this every day, uh, I ask uh, my cancer cells, then uh, after loving them and expressing gratitude, whether they would, uh, using the biochemical energy of the chemo I take uh, and the spirit of the chemo I take, and of all the different kinds of non-traditional healings and herbal supplements and other things I take and all the love and wonderful healing energy people are sending me, I ask them if they would transform themselves, metamorphose themselves into something 
that is uh, beautiful and then leave my body and go into this beautiful world. Uh, and so I, I do that when I take my chemo and I'm very fortunate to have a, a special mutation in my cancer cells that uh, allows me to have a, a very advanced chemo, which is a pill I take every morning and which does not affect my immune system. So I've, my quality of life has remained fairly good. And as I take that chemo pill, uh, uh, I do a ritual every morning with it. I have contacted the spirit of that uh, uh, special chemo pill because it is made of earth stuff itself. And I work with the spirit of my chemo pill. And I do a ritual every morning. And, 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 I, and it's been very important to me. These are messages I've gotten from, uh, from, from my lung cells, cancer cells, as well as from the spirit of the chemo to uh, uh, ask that my healing also provide healing for our planet Earth, which is in much need of healing, and for other people who are suffering from cancer, particularly those in uh, countries where they have no access to the kind of medical care I have. And so I do this every day, and so it's, it's a whole uh, uh, spiritual practice for me linked to my medical treatment, and to me that is totally normal. And, and my shape-shifting practice has helped me as I, as I practice my shape-shifting. I, I ask my cancer cells to shape-shift themselves again into something beautiful, something other, so that they can leave my body. And, uh, uh, you know, so far, uh, you know, the, 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 my tumors have shrunk. They've disappeared from my brain, and so I'm... Again, I will live with this the rest of my life. I know that. Uh, my intention from the start has been that if there is any, if this is the time for me to go, if spirits tell me, well, let it be, then I need to go. But however, if there is a slightest opening for me to work and survive, I want to live another 20 years, which is my intention there, because I love this world. Uh, and so the the... All my practices of, of working with uh, the spirit, the sacred aspect, the spiritual dimension of everything around the world uh, has been very helpful and important for me in working uh, with the traditional medical and non-traditional medical treatments and my own uh, cancer. I notice I feel very moved hearing you talk about your approach. I mean, I've heard so many people talk about, you know, wanting to eliminate their cancer cells, like, you know, playing some kind of Pac-Man game or something like that, like, get them out of here, get them gobbled up and gone. Your approach seems so different to me. And, you know, I've had even very close family members and relatives who at the first would tell me, oh, no, Claude, I know you'll win this war against this cancer, you know, I know you're going to fight it to death and you're going to win. And I should always have to go back and say, you know, this is not a fight. I don't want to fight. I don't want to war. There's enough fighting, enough war on this world. Uh, no, I want to love, to respect, to work in cooperation. Uh, 
uh, and uh, and people, you know, to me it makes a lot of sense. I don't want to take any special credit for this. To me, from the start, it made a lot of sense to do it that way. Uh, there are myself afterwards, and I love myself. I love my body. I love this world. I'm very thankful to my body for, you know, having permitted me to live so long and uh, and benefited from the great world and and so you know to fight them uh, just makes no sense to me I'm curious when you received your diagnosis did you immediately do some type of journey to try to understand you know why is this happening what's the message you know why is this happening to me oh uh, yes uh, I did and uh, the the uh, let me answer this in two ways. The first uh, the first journey I did, uh, and my wife Noelle was there with me, and she was journeying at the same time. Uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I I just uh, asked spirit generally. I, I all my spirit helpers, my power animals and spirit guys, to. Uh, explain to me what was happening to me. I wanted more understanding. And I was it was a very powerful journey because I was immediately taken in this journey uh uh out in space uh and and to a point where I could look down along with the spirits that were with me uh to the earth. Uh it was uh it looked even smaller, it looked like a little Maybe a soccer ball. It was even further out than than what the moon uh, astronauts uh, saw it like. And I heard immediately the spirit say, uh, "The planet Earth is hurting. It's ill. A new body is hurting, and it's ill." And uh, and I immediately understood that what was happening to me. Uh, was just a microcosm of what was happening to so many other species on this earth so to 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 so much of the uh the waters and the mountains and the rocks as we know the the uh, ecological destruction that is happening on our planet earth much of it almost all of it the result of we humans uh and and when i i got that message i understood that that I was just part of something bigger here, and that whatever healing I would uh, attempt to do and receive as I move forward needed to be connected to this healing of the earth, that this was one and the same thing. Again, this was this connection. And so this this was uh, uh, very helpful to me. I also understood, and this is the uh, the other part of the answer to your question, that uh, which, and I talk about this in my book in different ways, but that uh, I am, as a human being, no more important than any other being on this planet Earth. Uh, I am no more important than a small insect or a, a blade of grass, or uh, 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 a stream going down a mountain. Uh, all these are 
part of nature. I am part of nature. We are different, different forms of complexities that have come out in, in the evolution of our of life and of our planets and, and of this universe. But I have no more value than any of these other forms. Uh, we are just part, all equal part of life, of existence uh, in this universe. And so uh, I, I've very quickly, to me, the question of why is this happening to me became irrelevant. Uh, uh, now I could see, you know, there's a just in front of my house. I can see it now as I look through the window. Uh, you know, a beautiful, gorgeous uh, oak tree, uh, which I loved, uh, which uh, suffered from sudden oak death, which is a disease oak trees have here in California. And yet, you know, a scrubby little oak next to it is in full health. But that tree I lost, you know, died from it. And why that tree and not the little scrubby tree that I never paid attention to, to whom I'm paying attention now? You know, again, these are not questions that that have answers or that not even should be asked. We're all part of this wonderful experiment that is existence in this universe. And some of us, you know... Uh, have diseases, and uh, and so this was very helpful to me. So it became a matter then. Then how do I, uh, in a sacred way, approach this disease? And I'm very thankful for the uh, medical treatments that have been available to me. And I know they're not available to probably 90% of the human species. And so I'm very very grateful for that. And uh, you know, I want to approach those again in a very sacred way. Uh, uh, you know, using all my shamanic practice, you know, recognizing the sacred in those treatments, and this has really helped me in dealing with this disease on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, I want to pick up on one thing you said because once again, if I if I lived with that view, I would have to live really differently. So it got my attention, which is when you said, I'm no more important than anything else in this world, including an insect. I mean, I, I definitely think I live with the presumption that I'm more important than the mosquitoes I kill, for example. I think most people do. So what you're saying is actually very radical. I think most people do, and I think... Uh at least most people in in Western culture do. Uh, you know, when I've spent time with indigenous people, which I have the opportunity to do, for example, with uh, the Ashwar tribe, which is an indigenous tribe in, in northern Amazon, which is pretty much untouched by modern civilization, uh, for them, it is clear that they are no more important than than an insect. This is the way they live. And so I think uh, uh, it's more, I see that more of a, of a cultural uh, phenomena. It's a very anthropocentric phenomena, which, you know, anthropocentrism, which is, means that, that 
somehow we humans are the center of everything. We're more important than everything. We're at the peak of the evolutionary pyramid. Uh, you know, th- this is something that's very unique to to our kind of culture, which of course now spread around the the, the planet very much. And uh, it's it's something that that uh, is fairly recent in terms of the history of the human species. Now, as we know, a lot of the the, the former hunter-gatherers, when we look at current hunter-gatherers, did not have that kind of anthropocentric uh, feeling. It's uh, what's important to realize is that uh, if I have the same value, which I'm convinced I do as a a mosquito, uh, I am different from that mosquito. And I have a different role in maintaining harmony within nature, within this world, which I think is fundamentally or, or why we're here on this planet. And, and, and the mosquito is its own role. And these are different. So the roles are different. The, the nature is different. But the value is not. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, and the mosquito has a spiritual dimension. It is sacred. And it's this sacredness, which, and it's interconnected. It's part of the whole, just as I am part of the whole. Uh, and therefore, to think that I am more important, I have a higher value, for me, is to bring, out, bring in separation. I'm separate from the mosquito because I'm more important. I have more value. And, and this is counter to my understanding of interconnectedness and of being part of the whole uh, you know it, it, is that kind of answer your question I it, it's once I think it, this has been my experience because I did not always feel that way but once through my practice I've really understood that uh, you know I had no higher value than any other being on this planet or for that matter in this universe uh, it uh it actually brought in a huge amount of relief and almost a certain amount of joy because now I was part of it. I was not separate from it. Uh, I was different and I could value my difference uh, and uh, to the extent that I can use that difference for the good of of everything else, which, which unfortunately we humans still have a lot to learn about. Uh, but it, it made life for me much more pleasant, much more joyous, much more, uh, uh, and make, made much more sense. And again, uh, you know, as a scientist, I, I, to me, this made a lot of sense. You know, why, why put a certain value, uh, on uh, uh, on ourselves. You know, I, I made a journey once to uh, spirits to find out more about uh, you know these evolutionary pyramids, and because we've always thought humans were the top, the most evolved species, and um, there's still a great deal of thinking about that, which I think is a dangerous type of thinking. And so I, I, I wanted to get some more insights. And and I, I learned it to spirits of different animals, of different trees, 
different uh, other beings on this earth just to find out what their thoughts about that. And the responses I got were all fairly humorous uh, in the sense that says, well, you know, who says there's an evolutionary pyramid? You humans have said that. Now, if there is a pyramid, then somebody has got to be on the top, of course. And of course, if you define, decide that there was a pyramid, who are you going to put on top but yourself? You know, and uh, you know, again, this made a lot of sense to me. And, and the understanding, and by the way, evolutionary biologists are starting to get there to the understanding that we're not talking about an evolutionary pyramid anymore. Science is getting closer. We're talking about a much more complex. Uh, uh, evolutionary uh, structure than one going to something that's more and more and more, uh, more and more and more evolved. Uh, the, the complexity theory, and I, again, I'm talking as a scientist, you know, is a theory that says that starting with some very simple interactions, this is what computers are based on. Uh, you know, the, the, the ones and zeros that interact with one another in the computer in a very simple ways that you can, through complexity theory, naturally, spontaneously arrive at very complicated, complex structures. And this is what evolution has done. It's, it's led to a very, very complex structures starting from the Big Bang with some simple interactions among particles, leading to more and more complex structure. Uh, and ultimately, structures of life or human brain is a very complex structure. Uh, the way a, I just seen a bird flying in front of my window, the way a bird uh, is structured to fly in such an elegant, superb way is an extremely complex structure. Uh, and there are many different structures, complex structures all over the world. This is what makes Earth such a beautiful place, and, and so is the cosmos. But to place a higher value on the complexity of the brain than the complexity of a, the makeup of a, of a flying bird is, again, I think, a very arbitrary uh, decision. And not surprising that we would do that. That's where the anthropocentric uh, feelings come in. But once, in my experience, uh, and of those who, who I have discussed this with, see that, no, I'm no more complex or advanced or valued than this beautiful bird that just flew in with such elegance, uh, I feel connected with that world. I, I want to protect it, and I know uh, that bird will do whatever it is to protect me. We are part of the same uh, life force here on this earth. So I encourage everyone to uh, to think that way. It's it's uh, to try it. It's a different world. Claude, we're going to have to have a second part to our conversation someday because I'm really enjoying speaking with you and feel that you're helping me see through more sacred eyes. And I really appreciate that. So we'll have to have a second part of our conversation because there's a lot more that I want to talk with you about. I would love to do that. This is not a simple matter to talk about. Uh, you know, I, I, I often say the, the, when we talk about these 
we think that spiritual dimension of reality, we are using a language that has been uh, created to produce, to describe the ordinary part of reality. And so it, it is not fully adequate language, and so sometimes it is difficult to get across uh, some of these experiences. Uh, but I would love to uh, talk to you again, Tony. I've been speaking with Claude Poncelet. He's the author of a new book, The Shaman Within, a physicist's guide to the deeper dimensions of your life, the universe, and everything. Claude, great to be with you, and we'll talk more. Thank you very much, Tammy. Soundstrue.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>